Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Our desire is to worship His holy name. We do that as we sing to Him. We do that as we look at opportunities to serve Him. We do that as we are good stewards for Him. And we do that as we study His Word. Nehemiah chapter 9. James chapter 1. I've printed these verses on the screen for you. Give to us an opportunity to recognize where we are in our progressive sanctification. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself, that is God, tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you read the Daily Bread on the 13th of this month, and it happened to be a Friday the 13th, it talked about a flower. A flower that only blooms once ever four or five years. Now this flower is the largest freestanding flower in existence. And the name of the flower is Amorphalus titanum. Amorphalus has the idea of that which is disjointed, that which uh, falls apart, that which really doesn't work. Phallus, titanum, flower, big. So this is a big, stinking flower. Now, it's also known as the corpse flower. I thought about this yesterday when there was a game played in Columbus, Ohio. Somebody texted me yesterday and said, how are you going to work that into the service? Well, I just did. But this is a large flower. Now the next slide shows us some people standing around it smelling this thing. And it smells like rotten meat. It draws flies. And you can hardly stand to be in the same room with this flower. Yuck. Now this flower illustrates a lot about our lives. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us in our lives need to keep close accounts with God as we confess our sin, recognizing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes we don't really understand how obnoxious that is. We don't know how difficult it is for God to hear what's going on in our lives. Chris Carey, are you ready? Go! Now, I don't know about you, but that's awful obnoxious. That's what is called feedback. And it happens when there is a dissonance between speakers and microphones. And it, what it is, it's a violation of good sound laws. Sin in our lives is a violation of God's laws. 
and it's dissident, it's at odds, it's a big stinking flower in our lives. Now, as we have studied Nehemiah, we have understood that confession is a big deal in Nehemiah. When he was approached in Nehemiah chapter 1, he confessed the sins of the people and of the fathers of the people. Because Israel was in the place that they were because of sin. We read here in chapter 9 where Nehemiah confesses the sins of the people. And we've talked about that. We've talked about how that confession involved fasting and sackcloth and earth on their heads and all that kind of stuff. We talked about all that. But this morning I want to give to you some focal points that will help us beyond confession in our lives. What do we need to look at when we struggle with sin? And we all do. Where do we need to go? What should our perspective be? What kind of focus should be ours as we try to get back to where God wants us to be? Spencer, I'm glad you're not going to paint this thing chartreuse. Mob. Six points of focus that will help us be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Now, I'm going to use an acrostic, and I know the acrostic only has five letters, all right? I'm going to use one of them twice. I didn't want you just all worried about where is he going to get this sixth point. And I may not even get to it today. All right. So, my acrostic is focus. What are these points that you and I need to look at as we seek to be the kind of people that God wants us to be? The first point is we need to look at the faithfulness of God. We need to look at the faithfulness of God. Are you in Nehemiah chapter 9? I want to begin with the last part of verse 5. And then as I read this passage, I want you to point out to yourself the pronoun you and your. You and your. It's used some 30 times in this passage. All right, last part of verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God for everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing. Now, here we go. Praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gersite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. 
By the pillar of cloud, you led them in the day, and by the pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. Verse 13. You came down from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of a rock for their thirst, and you told them to go into a in, in to possess the land, and you had sworn that you had sworn to give them. Jump down to verse 26. I'm sorry, jump down to verse 22. Verse 22. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Hashbon, and the land of Og, king of Basham. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and gave possession of and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves with your great goodness. Now, do you get the idea that God was faithful? Do you see all that God had done for them? Could you not write a similar account of God's working in your life, recognizing all the blessings and benefits that we have because we are his children and all of the grace that has been given to us? You see, when we need to confess our sins, we need to go to the faithfulness of our God. I quoted earlier 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. Think about the faithfulness of God in your life. Thomas Chisholm was an American poet. He wrote the words to great is thy faithfulness. He said this, My income has never been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. Great is thy faithfulness. We ought to sing great is thy faithfulness, right? Can we do that? Can we just sing the chorus? Great is thy faithfulness, great. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need in thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. When you find yourself struggling, 
when you're trying to work through issues in your life, when you're dealing with stuff, focus on the faithfulness of our God. Amen? And that'll put us in the right direction so that we know what God wants us to do. The second focal point is this, obedience to his word. Now, Nehemiah gives to us two illustrations from the lives of the children of Israel where they disobeyed God. The first illustration that he gives to us is that of the golden calf. Jump down to verse 16, will you please? Nehemiah 9, 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader in retu to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. Now stop right there. I need to take you back to the time that is mentioned here in Nehemiah chapter 9. It begins in Exodus chapter 19. God had led his people through the wilderness, and he had led them to a place called Mount Sinai. It was, out my, it was at Mount Sinai where God was going to give to his people his laws. He was going to tell them how they were to worship him. He was going to help them focus on he brought Moses, who was leading the people, to the mountain and called all the people around the mountain. And he set before them words and commandments, Deuteronomy 19.7. The people thought about what God was saying, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Scripture says that God said, I will speak, so that the people may hear and believe forever that I am their God. At that point, Moses goes up on the mountain. And on the mountain, God is going to give to him what we know as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Now this takes a while. And if you fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 32, you discover that the people are getting kind of impatient. They don't know what happened to Moses. He's been up on that mountain. Where could he be? Is he lost? Is he not coming back? Has God taken his life? What's going to happen to us? The bottom line is that the people start to get selfish. You know, we always get in trouble when we get selfish. When we start to look at our own circumstances and forget what God is doing, we tend to get in trouble. Now Moses' right-hand man was Aaron. You remember he had the staff. 
That was what God used to bring the plagues in Egypt. Remember that? You also remember that in the Ark of the Covenant, they placed a staff to remind them of God's deliverance from Egypt. So Aaron's down with the people, and the people start to murmur. They start to complain. That would never happen in a Baptist church today. I felt like I was the complaint department this morning. And so the people start to murmur and they start to complain. I said, Aaron, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Moses isn't back. He's our leader. He brought us from Egypt. We crossed the Red Sea and now we're here. And God said he was going to tell us what he wanted us to do. But Moses is gone. We don't know what we're going to do. Aaron said, tell you what you're going to do. Bring me all your gold. Bring me your necklaces. Bring me your earrings. Bring me all your gold. And what Aaron did was he made a calf. Now, we aren't told how big this calf was, but it was big enough for the people to look at. And there were over a million people here. So it had to be a pretty good size. Now, I don't know if it was a heifer or if it was a Jersey calf or a Holstein. I don't know what it was. But we're going to make this calf. And did you note in our text how the people identified the calf? Verse 18. Look at it. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, here's their identity, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the one in the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. It's his calf. Now, you know the rest of the story. Moses comes down. Here's a great disturbance in the midst of the people. And a, a million people can make a pretty good disturbance. And he has in his hand the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He breaks them. Why did he do that? Well, he was upset, number one. And two, he recognized that the people had violated what was written on the tablet. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? No other God before me. No graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's our relationship with God. Do you remember that? Worship the right God. Worship him the right way. What was wrong? They were worshiping the right God. It was just the wrong way. They had disobeyed their God. There's a second illustration that Nehemiah gives to us. Not only had they become selfish and disobeyed their God, but look down in verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Notice that Nehemiah identifies blasphemies both with the golden calf and now 
Verse 27, therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they, their enemies, had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. Which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and a stiffened and stiffened their neck and would not obey? Wow. These people, blasphemies, rebellion, disobedience, time and time and time again. They killed the prophets. Isaiah spoke to the people of Judah, people who he identified as deaf and blind. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, sorrow over God's judgment. Ezekiel predicted the fall of Jerusalem. Hosea, he's called the deathbed prophet because he was the last prophet before Assyria came in and took Israel away, never to be heard of again. Nobody knows what happened to the last ten tribes. You see? When they disobeyed, they got into trouble. And when you and I discover that we need to come back to God, the first thing we do is look at God's faithfulness. Then we look at our obedience. Scripture says that God puts before us a blessing and a curse. A blessing if we will obey His truth. A curse. If we will not obey. You know, that's seen in Scripture, isn't it? Adam and Eve were blessed, weren't they? They were put in the garden. Can you imagine a perfect man, a perfect woman in a perfect place? Better than Hawaii. They had their rule of the garden. They were blessed. And yet they disobeyed God, and God kicked them out of the garden. They were cursed because they now had to live by the sweat of their brow, the work of their hands, and sin dogged them all of their lives. Abel was blessed. He offered the fruit of his flock. The firstlings gave it to God. He was blessed. Cain was cursed. Because he killed Abel. And you see this time and time and time again throughout history. Blessing and a, and a curse. Romans chapter 7. Look up here at the screen, will you please? Romans chapter 7. It was sin producing death in me. Through what is good, 
in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's what Paul wrote when he was struggling. He said, it's not the law. The law brought me to sin. Without the law, I wouldn't know what sin was all about. The law is good. But it's this sin thing, this missing the mark, this dissidence in my life. When I fail to live by the principles of God, I struggle with. And what's he say? I just want sin to be sinful. I don't want it to be some gray area. I don't want it to be something that I pass off as nothingness. May it be that stinking plant that smells like rotting flesh. And when that happens, review the faithfulness of God and turn to the obedience that's necessary in our lives. Not only do we need to have obedience, but we need to have confession. Confession. Confession is necessary for us as God's people. Scripture says, 1 John chapter 1, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you are well aware that confession means saying the same thing. And if we are going to truly confess our sin, we need to see it as God sees it. But not only do we need to confess our sin, we need to forsake our sin. Forsaking our sins means to put it away, to stop doing what we're doing. That's key. If we keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again intentionally, if we keep violating the same law of God over and over and over and over again intentionally, are we really seeing it as God sees it? I don't think so. But not only should we forsake it, but we need to repent from it. Repentance means turning around, going in the opposite direction. That's like I'm headed toward this thing. But I turn around and head away from it because I know this thing isn't good for me. I had the privilege the last couple of weeks of teaching the uh, junior high students, and that, and that was a great time. Illumin is what they call themselves. Is that right, Spencer? No, Thrive, Thrive. I heard that over here. Spencer, your voice carries. Thrive. And I had the opportunity of teaching them about Baptist distinctives and then what is communion and what is baptism. One of the students made homemade cinnamon rolls this morning. 
they looked wonderful. I was headed toward them. Larry Lindsley was tempting me. It was Larry's fault. And as I got there, I thought, you know what? That probably isn't the best thing for me today. Tomorrow maybe, but not today. And so I turned around and went the other direction. Now it's that simple. That's what repentance is. Going one way, recognizing that it's not the way we should be going, and turning around and going the other direction. You see, our perspective must be the faithfulness of God, obedience to God, and confession before God. If we are going to head the right direction, when we find ourselves heading the wrong direction, we must look at God's faithfulness. We must look at our obedience. And we must make sure that our confession involves forsaking and repenting. There's one more aspect of confession, and that's sorrow. Scripture tells us that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. If it doesn't affect us, it will not change us. There are a lot of distractions in my life. Yours too. We find them all the time, don't we? And it is very easy to get sidetracked. It's very easy to get hung up on stuff that just doesn't matter and would cause us to not remember what our God wants us to be and what he wants to do in our lives. Walt, thank you for asking me this morning if I was okay. It's only a game. Pfft. Connie will tell you I did yell at the television several times. Thought I broke the remote once. I didn't throw it. I didn't throw it. I only hit my leg. But yeah, it's okay. Why? Because God's still faithful, amen? And he only wants me to obey, that's all. As I make sure my relationship with him is what he wants it to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. The opportunity we have to share together and be reminded of how we must focus on your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, help us to get rid of the dissidents, that really irritating stuff. 
that causes us distractions and help us to recognize it's all about you, God. It's all about you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love. And we pray that today we might live in that love as we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works, but most of all, glorify our Father who is in heaven. And it's in his Son's name we pray.